We don't normally like to call too much attention to our guests, the specific guests here. We don't want to put anybody on the spot, but I just have to share with you tonight. We got to announce this morning that earlier in this week, uh, one of our own members' daughter, Sarah Doom, had been baptized into Christ. We have with us tonight a special guest from Stone Mountain, Georgia, who was just baptized earlier in this week, Samuel Langevin, I believe is it. And uh, we're so excited to have him with us. He actually lives in Stone Mountain, Georgia, but his work has him up here during the week. And so he was baptized earlier this week, our new brother in Christ. And so we praise the Lord for that. And when he's here with his work, uh, we might get to see him. But I, I wanted to make sure that whether with his work he's here or someplace else, that we all welcome him into the family of God tonight before we, before we leave. And what an amazing thing that is. Why don't we pray? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we are amazed at your grace and your mercy, and we are so thankful for your Son who died for us so our sins could be taken away. And we're so thankful for our new sister Sarah and for our new brother Samuel, and we pray for, for all those. We know that there are others throughout the world that have become your children this week, and we are thankful for them. And we pray that your hand of mercy and benevolence will be with them, helping them grow, helping them devote themselves to you. May they grow in maturity and become pillars within your body. Father, thank you so much for our opportunity to be here tonight to worship and honor and glorify you. We pray that everything we do lifts you up and honors you. We are just amazed that you allow us to gather in your presence, that you allow us to make our petitions to you, that you allow us to confess our sins to you, that you allow us to praise you. We're thankful for that. We ask that you be with us tonight as we study your word and learn more about our relationship with one another and we pray that we can draw closer to one another, as we learned in our class this morning, that we can attain the unity of the faith, that we might be strengthened to spread your gospel to the community around us. Father, thank you so much for your love and your mercy. Through your Son, we pray. Amen. We began this morning taking a look at the Ten Commandments, and we talked about the God of the Ten Commandments. And before we go any farther, allow me to repeat for those who missed this morning... I understand and recognize that we are no longer under the authority of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are not our law anymore. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24, it says that the law was our guardian until Christ. Christ is now the authority that we're under. We pointed out that doesn't mean that I'm allowed to have other gods above Jehovah. That doesn't mean that I'm allowed to take the name of the Lord God in vain. But the reason I don't do those things is because Christ has taught me how to behave, not because it's necessarily in the Ten Commandments. That being said, we recognize some timeless principles about our relationship with God from the first four of the commandments. And tonight, we're going to begin taking a look at our relationship with one another. One of the neatest essays I've ever read was by a man named Robert Fulgham, and he said, everything I ever needed to know, I learned in kindergarten. It's a great essay. If you haven't ever read it, Look it up online. Everything I ever needed to know, I learned in kindergarten. Well, I think that we can equally say, everything I ever needed to know about living with others, I learned from the Ten Commandments. I believe the Ten Commandments provide us with some timeless principles about how we live with one another, and everything else that we might say about our relationship with one another is probably going to go back to these basic fundamental principles as we take a look at the last six of the commands found in the Ten Commandments. And I'd like for us to take a few moments tonight to take a look at those principles and what they say about our lives with one another. Everything I ever needed to know about living with others, I learned 
from the Ten Commandments. We find in Exodus chapter 20, beginning at verse 12, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. What are some principles that we learn? I'd like for us to notice five things from these six commandments. The very first thing, when we talk about our relationship with one another and living with others, we need to understand mom and dad are important. The first command that God established with His Israelite nation regarding relationships with one another were honor your father and your mother. Mom and dad are important. You know, the folks who have had the absolute most influence on my life are not the people that I've watched on TV. They're not the political people that are in Washington. They're not the folks who have written the books that I've read or the folks who have sung the songs that I listen to. It's mom and dad. And these folks have had more influence on me than anyone else simply for the fact that if it weren't for them, I wouldn't even be here. It's because of them that I even exist. Without them, nothing would have influenced me. And this command is given, honor your father and mother simply because of that fact. Just because they are there and they are the ones that brought, life, brought me into the world and brought me to life, I'm supposed to honor, I'm supposed to lift them up and esteem them and respect them. Honor your father and your mother. Paul commented on this in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 6, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. This timeless principle, mom and dad are important, and we need to honor them. You know, interestingly, when you think about it, the experts for today are constantly telling mom and dad the responsibilities that they have to the children. We're not surprised when we can remember what we learned this morning in Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, that God's ways are above our ways, His thoughts are above our thoughts, that when God established a command for His people, He didn't talk about what the parents were supposed to do for the kids. He talked about what the kids were supposed to do for the parents. Honor your father and mother. And I want you to notice two things. There was no exception made there for age. There is no age when we get too old and we no longer have to honor our father and our mother. And the other thing is, there's no exception made there for rotten parents. It doesn't say, honor your father and mother who were a good father and mother. It says, honor your father and mother. That's what we're supposed to do, is honor our parents. No matter who they are, no matter what they've done. Now, that doesn't mean we always do everything exactly as they say. If they've taught us to do things against God, we know that God takes precedence over our parents. But even in that, we're supposed to respect and honor our parents. No matter how old or how young we are. And parents, we need to remember this. There is something here about our responsibility. And that is the fact that our kids do not come into the world knowing that they're supposed to honor and obey us. And so guess whose responsibility it is to pass that on to them? That's our job. And parents, we need to start teaching our children from a young age that they're supposed to honor and obey their parents. And far too often the cop-out that they're just kids, that's why they're not obeying, is really just an excuse from those who aren't taking the time to train their kids to honor and obey their parents. That's something that we have to be doing because our children have to understand that God thinks it's important. Mom and dad 
are important. Before any other relationship, God said, honor your father and mother. What else do we learn from the Ten Commandments about our relationship with others? We learn that God wants us to refrain from hurting others. We take a look at the commands. The Sixth Command and the Ninth Command both deal with this. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13, the Bible there says, You shall not murder. But we need to understand this. When God offered this command to the Israelites, and He said, you shall not murder, He wasn't trying to tell the Israelites that anything they did up to the point of actually killing their neighbor was okay. He wasn't saying to them, look, you can go and punch your neighbor in the face. He wasn't saying you can go run over your neighbor's foot with the cart. He wasn't saying that you can go and, and hurt your neighbor as long as you don't actually kill him. We learn from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount that this command not to murder your neighbor was actually supposed to include everything that would be in the process that would lead to that. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 21, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. And so he points out that even the anger and the hatred and and anything that might come before actually murdering our brother is also supposed to be removed. What's What's the principle there for us? Certainly, we're not supposed to kill anyone. But we find also the greater principle that what God wants out of His people, I'm not supposed to hurt others. I'm supposed to treat others with kindness. Again, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12, we find the the principle that we're supposed to be following in our relationship with others. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Instead of hurting others, instead of offering unkindness to them, if we want to have a positive relationship with others, then we need to treat them the way we want to be treated. Do we want other folks walking up and hitting us in the face? Well, should we be doing that to others? But interestingly, there in the Ten Commandments, he even backs it up a step. It's not just about physical pain. If we look at the ninth commandment in verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. There's the concept of harming my neighbor verbally. Bearing false witness. This might take place in a courtroom. Especially under the old law, as they talked about people taking bribes and bearing false witness in in trial situations. But it might just happen in the home or in the school or in the workplace, where we just kind of, behind the back of somebody, just slander them a little bit, say something that's not exactly true so that they look worse and, and we look better. We're not supposed to bear false witness. We need to tell the truth about people because our job is not to hurt others, whether physically or verbally. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 29, I believe, in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 29, Paul said, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Let the bitterness, the wrath, the clamor, the anger, and all malice, anything that we might say that would harm someone, he says that needs to be put away from you. We know Galatians 5 and verse 15 says that we shouldn't bite and devour one another because if we do, what's going to happen? We'll end up being consumed by one another. 
Instead, here in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15, it says, Speak the truth in love. There in verse 29 that we had just read a moment ago, it talked about speaking only those things that are good for building up. Our job is not to harm. Our job, job is not to tear others down. Our job is to build them up. And we learn this principle. Even in the Ten Commandments, don't hurt others. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Say things that are going to build them up. Our words ought to be a gift to them. When they get done with our conversation, they ought to be able to walk away and say, I'm a better person for getting to talk to them about this. And we especially need to remember that if at any point we do have to offer critique, let's make sure we do it in a way that they can say, even though they had to critique me, I'm a better person for that. Mom and dad are important. Don't hurt others. Honor my commitments. There in Exodus chapter 20, this time in verse 14, the seventh command says, you shall not commit adultery. Perhaps the greatest commitment any of us will be involved in, apart from our commitment to God Himself that we talked about this morning, is the commitment we make to that one other person that we're going to spend all of our lives with. He says, don't commit adultery. Honor that commitment. The proverbialist talked about that commitment in Proverbs chapter 5. In Proverbs chapter 5, beginning at about verse 15, he says, Proverbs 5.15, Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and if he is held fast in the cords of his sin, he dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. The proverbialist talked about that commitment that we're supposed to have and how we're supposed to maintain and honor and keep that commitment that we've made to the wife or husband of our youth. Don't go off to someone else. The fact is, the Bible is quite clear. Sex outside of marriage is just wrong, and there's no excuse, there's no justification, there's no exception to that rule. Outside of marriage, sexual contact is just wrong. And we need to honor the commitment that we have made in our marriage. But as you notice, as I'm talking about this commandment, I'm not just talking about the sexual sin of adultery. I think there's a more fundamental principle that we see demonstrated by this command not to commit adultery. And it is that, that, that concept of honoring our commitments. We've said, I'm going to be committed to this person for all my life. And God's saying, don't violate that. We need to recognize that principle in every walk. Is the marriage commitment the only one that we're supposed to keep? Of course not. In fact, when God wanted to talk about who would be able to dwell with Him in Psalm 15, as David wrote, he said in Psalm 15, verse 1, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? The question is, God, who dwells with you? Who lives with you? And in verse 4, the last thing he said is, the one who swears to his own hurt, and does not change. The one who has made a commitment, and even when the commitment comes back to hurt him, he keeps the commitment anyway. 
Oh, so many Christians think that they only have to keep commitments as long as everything flows smoothly. But the moment it starts to come back and, and be tough and be a sacrifice and be something that harms me, oh, I don't have to do that. God surely doesn't expect that to me. No, God says, keep your commitments even if they hurt. Because that's the only person that dwells in the holy hill with God. And just in case you want to be pharisaical and hypocritical, and think that the only commitments you have to keep are the ones that are backed up with words like, I promise, I affirm. Remember Matthew 5.37, as Jesus commented, He said, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. Some translations say, let your yes be yes, your no be no. If you say you're going to do something, then do it. If you say you're not going to do something, then don't do it. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. Keep your commitments. Mom and dad are important. Don't hurt others. Honor your commitments. Respect other people's property. Respect other people's property. This is something that seems to be lost in our society so often today. But we'll remember in verse 15, the eighth command, God said, you shall not steal. You shall not steal. But was God saying there to the Israelites, you can do anything you want with somebody else's property just as long as you don't actually take it from them? I don't think so. We rather see a greater principle here that where we learn about ownership rights. When somebody else owns something, that's theirs. They get to determine how it's used. They get to determine who uses it. And we don't get to decide that it's my, I should get to use it. We don't get to do that. We need to honor other people by respecting their property. Keep in mind, Paul commented on this thing about stealing in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and about verse 28, he says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. That's what he says to us. Don't steal. Respect others' property rights. And when we carry that principle through to its full extent, we recognize that that means that I need to honor what others say about their own goods. They get to decide how something's going to be used. If they're going to let me borrow their trailer, and they say to me, now listen, don't, don't drive this thing above 65 miles an hour on the road. I don't get to go out on the road and say, well, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. I'll drive it 85. That's their trailer. They get to decide how it's going to be used. You see the point? So if it's theirs and they say, this is how I want you to use it, then we need to use it because it's theirs. And we need to take care of what is theirs. Is Kenny here tonight? Oh, I know Kenny's going to get me on this one. But, you know, what this means is that when we borrow something from somebody, we're supposed to return it to them at least in as good a condition as we got it from them. Okay? And this is one of those places where you've got to do as I say, not always as I do. Right, Kenny? Yeah. We're, we're still working on some things that I borrowed from Kenny. Hopefully we'll get those repaired again. <sighs> but anyway, but, but the main thing, obviously, didn't do anything on purpose. But the point being that we're supposed to take care of other people's property when they want to choose it. Respect what belongs to other people. We don't get to just appropriate it for ourselves. We don't get to just use it however we want to. We have to respect other people's property. And the final thing. Wow, this has moved really fast. I know you all wish I'd preached this one this morning, don't you? The final thing that we need to recognize from this is that to keep the other commandments, I must control 
my thoughts. I must control my thoughts. It amazes me the number of folks who say, oh, now, the old covenant, that was a physical covenant. That was about all the things we do, that, that they did and didn't do under that old covenant. The, the new covenant, that's a more spiritual covenant. That's more about the heart and getting the heart right with God. But have you ever just looked at that Tenth Commandment? Because that Tenth Commandment is all about the heart. What does it say? You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or, or anything that is your neighbor's. This is about the heart. This is about the mind. The fact is, this commandment is kind of a foundation to make sure we're following all those other commandments. Because think about it. If I don't covet my neighbor's house, I won't kill him. Remember 1 Kings 21 when Ahab coveted Naboth's vineyard? What did he do? Jezebel went out and killed Naboth and Ahab got what he coveted. If he hadn't coveted Naboth's, Naboth's vineyard, Naboth would have lived. If I don't covet my neighbor's wife, guess what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to break the commitment with my wife. See, if I get the heart right, that other commandment is going to take care of itself. Remember David? 2 Samuel 11, what happened? He looked down from his roof and he saw Uriah's wife. And if he hadn't coveted her, nothing would have happened. If he had turned around and gone back inside his house and said, Oh, I'm not supposed to see that. Nothing would have happened. But he coveted his neighbor's wife. And he committed adultery. If I don't covet my neighbor's property, I'm not going to steal. If I don't covet my neighbor's reputation, I won't bear false witness. Do you see the point here? I've got to get my heart right with God first. And when I do that, then these other commandments will take place. They'll happen just naturally. We've already taken a look at the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus demonstrated in the Sermon on the Mount. That following God's commands are not just about that one final ultimate action that He talked about, but also about what's going on in the mind leading up to it. We read verse 21 of Matthew 5. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you should not murder. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. He says those, those things in your mind that lead up to the murder, he says, get those taken care of and you won't ever get to the murder. We look at uh, verse 28. I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What Jesus points out is I've got to get that, that my mind under control. And that will help me keep the commands about my relationship with other people. So we've got to be working on what's going on up here and what we're thinking about when we're looking at others and the things that they own and the things that they have and our relationships with them. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 provides a great standard for our thought control. It says, finally, brothers, this is Philippians 4 and verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. We need to be focusing our mind on those things. And then the other commands will follow. A friend of mine once said, you can't stop birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. It's true that there are going to be thoughts that flit into our mind 
And we may not be able to control that. We might see something, we might hear something, we might smell something, who knows. And it causes some undesirable, unholy thought to flit into our mind. But we make the decision on whether that stays there. And we've got to learn to control and drive out those thoughts and start focusing on the holy things. And when we do, the other commandments will take place. You know, God really here in the Ten Commandments has taught us everything we need to know about living with others. Mom and dad are important. I shouldn't hurt others. I should honor my commitments. I should respect other people's property. And I should control my thinking in order to live by these other guidelines about my relationships with others. Everything I ever needed to know about living with others, I learned from the Ten Commandments. Not because I'm under the Ten Commandments, but because the principles taught by the Ten Commandments are still true. How are you doing in your relationship with others?